0: The Red Light District, by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 17, The Red Sequence in a Targeted Nuclear Device. Two weeks had passed since the storming of the complex. Kamamuchu questioned the techs vigorously, assisted by Grayson and Monty, who shuttled between Washington and Redstone. They spent hours searching for every piece of information locked in the minds of the techs. It was a slow and time-consuming process, What impressed Kamamucho was the individual approach to the functioning of the project. Each of the techs had his own responsibility, but knew nothing of the overall operation. Kamamucho summarized his findings to the president after one week of interrogation. He knew the workings of many of the systems from talking to the individual techs. Toward the end of the first week, he and Monty, after hours of prodding, were finally told that Richards had left the complex through the red sequence. Since everyone had his own role, it would take more time to piece the problem together. Kamamucho's efforts were suddenly stopped during the second week. The effect of the QPB had gone a step further. The techs were progressively losing their memory, as if their cell structure was disintegrating as the drug left the body. He was afraid it would only be a matter of time until their memories were gone completely. And He suspected that other bodily functions would cease. With this in mind, Monty placed an immediate call to the President at the White House. The President, bogged down with appointments, took the call. Mr. President, this is Monty. Yes, Monty. What have you found out? What is the red sequence?
1: No, Mr. President. I have other critical problems
0: out here. What kind of problems?
1: Well, I think I should put Kamucho on and let him explain it to you.
0: By all means, put him on. Doctor, I understand you're running into some difficulties out there. What happened? I'm afraid so, Mr. President. Technicians are losing their memories as the drug leaves their body. Can you give them more of the drug? asked the President. No, Mr. President. For one, the drug seems to be leaving much faster than the time it takes to accumulate. the one thing you need is time. I can't say I've slept very well at night knowing that Richards escaped somewhere back in time.
2: Mr. President, as I told you last week, we cannot establish a destination or motive for such a departure without gathering minute detail from each individual in this complex. Their memories will become blank in a short time, I'm sure of it.
0: And it might affect other parts of their bodies. Other parts of their bodies? You're telling me that those 200 people will be dead?
2: More medical personnel. Just 10 or 12
0: agency people. No, doctor. We can't risk anybody else knowing about this. The secrecy has to be maintained. You tell those technicians to write down everything they know about the red sequence or the project itself. It is not that simple, sir. Well, no one else is going to travel out there. If you want... Mr. President,
1: this is Monty. I'm on the extension. Go ahead, Monty.
0: Medical problem. Technicians can be kept in their quarters away from the rest of the complex. What do you think of that option? Make it two additional people and please keep it all classified. You will inform me of any changes. Goodbye. Kamamucho and the two agency doctors continued to work on the problem, but they didn't have the technology to solve it. He questioned the techs for up to 18 hours a day, but he was growing fatigued and restless. The techs sat with blank stares on their faces, and it would take hours just to elicit a response. Kamamucho finally gave up. He gathered all the data he had acquired and went up to the control room. It was late Thursday afternoon when he finally grasped the meaning of the red sequence. The president was off to perform his annual duty of lighting the White House Christmas tree. Each year he would turn on the switch and thousands of lights on the tall fir tree would come to life adding to the spirit of the occasion with the carols and prayers that were part of the ceremony. Plansky was one of those viewers. They had transferred him to an almost identical house hundreds of miles from Washington. Plansky was unable to discern his location from watching the TV as the signals were fed from a cable picked up by various stations around the Northeast. He sat in a new gray sweatshirt and faded jeans on an old ragged couch as Perkins entered the room. Well, hi there, Perk smiled Polanski. What's that? asked the agent. I said, there's your friend, said Polanski as he pointed at the set. Perkins brushed off Polanski's remarks as he always did and went back into the kitchen. Polanski watched the ceremonies with a gnawing cynicism. The network commentator narrated the festivities.
1: President now smiling at the choir, which by the way was flown in today from San Antonio, President now stepping up to the podium for a brief statement as is customary at this annual event. Before he turns on the switch that will light the giant tree to his right.
0: Here is the President. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pride to open this Christmas season that begins with the traditional lighting of the White House Christmas tree. As we enter this season, Celebrating the birth of Christ, let us join together in brotherhood, working for a better world for mankind. Let us recognize the spirit of good that is in all of us, the spirit to achieve a true peace on earth. Klinsky listened carefully. Only he and a handful of men in the country could see through those prophetic words. But he was struck by the paradox of the situation. For if the president did not make the failings of Project Hudson a public history, It would repeat itself, and that repetition would not lead to peace on earth. commentator continued,
1: President turning back now, and there it goes, what a wonderful sight. The tree is lit, heralding in this Christmas season 1978 in the nation's capital. I believe the program calls for the San Antonio choral singers at this point.
0: The choir began with Oh Holy Night the camera took a long shot of the next group against the setting of the tree and the president. Next it zoomed in and scanned the individual faces as they sang. Inside the White House, some briefing papers in his office. He held out a cigarette in his hand and searched for a missing piece of paper. The telephone rang and he picked it up with one hand while holding papers in the other. This is Jim Curry call from Dr. K, said one of the secretaries to the president. All right, put him through on the president's private line. Why can't
2: I get through to the
0: president? Yelled Dr. Kamamuchu in a panic. Whoa, 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 slow down there, doctor. The president is outside with the national Christmas tree.
2: I know where he is. I want
0: to talk to him at once. He's due back inside on the ceremonies in about a half an hour.
2: I can tell you we cannot lose any time. I have found the answer to the red
0: sequence. Why the hell didn't you say that before? What does it mean?
2: I cannot tell you.
0: Answered Kamamuchu, you can tell me and I will tell the President.
2: No, only I will talk to the President.
0: Jim, this
1: is
2: Monty. Get the President now.
0: Plansky continued to watch the ceremonies, for lack of anything else to do. Ah, this is so damn phony, he said as the camera superimposed a close-up of the president's face over the entire scene. I'm really touched there, Perk. You're missing a command performance. As the camera slowly faded from the president and resumed the shot of the entire scene, Plansky could see a figure advancing near the president. Curry had run all the way up from his office and was in his shirt sleeves in the cold as he made his way up to the president. Quickly, he whispered something in the president's ear. The president's face remained calm as he slowly walked up to the director's ceremonies, said something to him, and then departed the stage. As he moved his way down the corridors of the White House, he quickly picked up the phone and talked to the beleaguered Kamamuchu. He said nervously as he was breathing heavily. Well, what have you found out, Doctor, that you dragged me off the stage like that?
2: I have checked my findings several times. My talks with these people indicate that Dr. Richards did pass through time in a triangular pyramid which I have previously described. The interior of that pyramid has two rooms. One contains temporary living quarters and the other...
0: And what did the other contain, Doctor?
2: Room, or should I put it in the present tense, contains a nuclear warhead with a detonation timer that is, at this moment, taking down the
0: hours until it explodes. I know that
2: several
0: hours. No, no! Shouted the president as his shoulders dropped suddenly. Gravity of the situation, vanished for two weeks, had returned. And where is he?
2: you are, Mr. President, Washington, D.C. The date of detonation proves to be
0: Christmas Day. The President held the receiver to his side and pinched the bridge of his nose. He fought to control his emotions. Doctor, I want those figures checked and rechecked. This cannot be true. It's impossible. Things like this just don't happen. Alright, let's assume the pyramid vessel is here. Is there any way to trace the exact location?
2: All the instruments were set up in the exact manner that they were when Richards left and we could lock onto the object. But not now. This man has covered his tracks by disassembling this complex. We are very fortunate we have this information. If we commenced questioning even a day later, we wouldn't have it.
0: One minute, doctor, said the president as if the world were indeed coming apart before his very eyes. He looked at Curry. His aide could sense the hopelessness in the president's face. Jim, Richards has planted a nuclear device right here in the city, and it's set to go off Christmas Day. I'll get Rich in here right now, Mr. President, he said as he ran out of the office, scattering papers on the desk and leaving the president alone. The president slowly sank into his chair behind the desk. His mind was beginning to grow numb. His reasoning power seemed consumed by the thoughts of the nation's capital going up in a mushroom clog. It was incomprehensible. He had worked for the defense of his country from his very first day in Congress 30 years ago. Billions of dollars, which he had voted for, were piped into the security of this country against a foreign threat. And now that threat was real, except that it was not a foreign threat at all. The ultimate irony was that the nation's capital would be utterly destroyed by a project funded by its own citizens.
1: Mr. President, Mr. President.
0: Monty, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's rechecked this, Mr. President. The whole scenario seems most probable. I just don't know. Mr. President, time for secrecy is over. Convene the
1: Joint Chiefs and the Cabinet.
0: The President was silent. In his mind, the President weighed the possibilities. If he broadened the number of people who knew about the project, its existence would eventually become public. But he needed the assistance and advice. Contingency plans had to either be drawn up or taken from existing documents at the Pentagon or the city would have to be evacuated. The problem seemed insurmountable for him to concentrate on at this time. I, I don't know. I just don't know. Get back here with Grayson right away. You will give me your assessment when you arrive. I don't care what hour it is, just come to the White House at once, Monty. Yes, Mr.
1: President, we'll solve this problem, sir. We have to utilize the entire resources of the government.
0: I wish I had your confidence, Monty, said the President with a shaky voice. Good night. At that moment, Curry came running into the room, followed by Neil, as the President hung up the telephone. They said nothing as the Chief executives stood in front of his desk. Prepare yourselves, gentlemen. We're in for a long, long night. President was awakened at 3 a.m. by Curry, who never seemed to sleep anyway. Both men made their way down to the yellow oval room where Rich Neal, Grayson, and Monty were waiting in front of a blazing fire. President wanted this to be a limited discussion, and they deliberately had not called Maxwell or Bradford. You'll have to excuse my appearance, said the president as he walked into the room in his slippers and bathrobe. He pushed his hand through his disheveled hair. All right, you've had several hours to think this over. Let's have your opinions. We've discussed this in great length on the flight, Mr. President. We have several options. I'll state mine first. Oh, please do, said the president, who sat, sat in one of the elegant chairs and felt the warmth of the fire with his hands. My frank opinion is, this situation is hopeless. I thought immediately we could handle the situation, but we can't. We should commence evacuation of the city at once, formulate a cover story, and prepare for the worst. We, we could say, for example, that a terrorist group or a lone individual is holding the city at bay. No one can prove or disprove that if we handle it in the proper manner. I'll be candid, Mr. President. If Dr. Kamamucho is right and I happen to think that he is. And if Richards has traveled here, there is no way humanly possible to find that bomb. To make an attempt could take years, and you have less than three weeks. Sorry to say that I have to take such a non-combative position, but I feel this is the only viable option. The President stroked his chin as he looked into the blazing fire. The logs hissed and sparks flew into the air as he tried to evaluate Monty's statement in his mind. He turned to Grayson, still in his combat fatigues. Mr. President, I believe that we
1: have the technology to make a sweep of the entire Metropolitan District. We can find that pyramid thing, but to just stand by and watch this city go up in smoke would be irresponsible, to say the least. With all deference to Monty, I suggest that you begin the search at the earliest possible moment.
0: Rich, I tend to agree with Monty. "'The situation is irresoluble. "'I don't like to say it, but it is irresoluble. "'Curry, well, first, Mr. President, let me ask the General a question. "'General, even if we have the capacity to find this pyramid, "'assuming that we go at 100%, "'we still have enough time to to actually locate the device. "'Could be a very close call, if at all,' said Grayson. "'And what if you don't find it?' demanded Curry. "'Perhaps a combined effort would be more applicable to both ends,' said the President.' If we don't find this device, we will have to clear the city. Well, that sounds good in theory, Mr. President. But what about the public reaction? asked Curry. The situation would be one big panic in the entire nation, which is an open invitation from a real terrorist group in the future. Once the precedent is set, then... You're right, Jim, you're right, you're right, you're right, said the president as he folded his hands and looked into the fire once again. Once again, we fall back to that paper thin wall of secrecy. Let us assume that everything went according to plan. One, the city and its documents and records are evacuated in an orderly manner. Unlikely, but let's assume it. The search efforts culminate in success before the detonation. And three, no terrorist groups follow suit, gentlemen, he said as he turned away from the fire. We still have the specter of a Congressional investigation, as well as the press. Our roads lead not to our handling of this crisis, but to Project Hudson itself. It was supposed to be shut down, and I'll level with you fellas right now. I'm damn scared about everything. We're completely pinned in. We can't let this city go up in a fireball, nor can I break security and start a nuclear war with the Russians. You have to tell me, what is the lesser of the two evils, gentlemen? Either path leads to death and destruction on a massive scale, he said with an expression of a man waiting on death row for the courts to rule on whether he lives or dies. The room was silent for several minutes. What about Polanski? asked Neil. It's a long shot, but he might know something about the placement of that bomb, said Curry. Yes, yes, Polanski, said the President. Mr. President, we've questioned Polanski about all this. All he knows is what he first said to you in the hospital. Mr. President, you could use a sodium pentothal derivative, said Neil. Yes, Jim, and then we'd be sure. Mr. President, I'm sure that would be a waste of time, said Monty. I think Polanski's told us everything he knows. What about something he doesn't know, something in the unconscious? Monty, I think you can handle this. If you leave now, you can be back here in a few hours and you might find the location of that bomb. All the men waited in the old office, as Monty flew by helicopter to the small house where Polanski was being held in upstate New York. Polanski was soon under the influence of the drug, and Monty questioned him for several hours, but the results proved futile. Monty telephoned the apprehensive men back at the White House and informed them that further questioning would indeed be a waste of time. As he flew back to Washington, he had learned one fact about Polanski. Despite all the details he had been exposed to, he had told them everything he knew about Project Hudson. After five additional hours of discussion at the White House, action was decided upon. It would be based on existing contingency plans for the city of Washington. Handled by a Pentagon task force, everything would be delegated to subordinates in order to shield the men involved. At 2 o'clock, they would attend a cabinet meeting with the Joint Chiefs present. Everything would be related to the men assembled in the group. They would substitute the People's Liberation Force for Dr. Richards. The president would say bluntly that that group had planted a nuclear bomb under the city, and it would be detonated at an indefinite time. Next, the men would meet with government agencies and local authorities. The networks would be alerted that the president wanted airtime at 8 o'clock that evening. He would speak from a location well outside of Washington. All arms of the government would follow existing plans to leave for secret locations outside the city where they would continue their functions of government. When all this was accomplished, they would have two weeks to locate the strange Chrome Pyramid with Richards and the nuclear warhead inside. Join us next time for another exciting episode of The Red Light District by Robert P. Fitton. Presented by Fitton Theatre of the Words.